Hola, hola. Welcome to the Breakthrough Brand Show. I'm Fabi Paolini, and my mission on this podcast is to give you behind-the-scenes stories, anecdotes, and unique perspectives behind building a premium brand that makes a real impact. I believe that when you create a message that is aligned with your truth, you can have the breakthroughs that changes lives. Each week, me and my guests share with you how we're making an impact with our message and the stories behind our success. So that being said, let's dive into today's episode. Well, I'm so excited to welcome today Dr. Stephen Perlman. He is known as the Steve Jobs of critical thinking, and he has holds 30 plus years of experience in higher education, founded the Critical Thinking Institute, as you can see in his background. And it's all about bringing his inside out critical thinking methodology to everybody. So excited to have you here, Stephen. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in your own words? Sure. Thanks so much for having me on. It's exciting to be here. Uh, what we do at the Critical Thinking Institute is that we've innovated a way to teach critical thinking that's different than how most people are trying to teach it. And the first thing I guess we should note is that mm -hmm. most people have never received any formal critical thinking instruction, or if they have, it's minimal at best. So if you went to college, maybe, and you learned how to structure an argument for a paper, or you learned what a couple of logical fallacies are. Those are to some degrees related to critical thinking, but they're fractional at mm -hmm. best. What we try to do instead is really work on how does the brain naturally work when it thinks? How do we amplify what's good about that? And how do we minimize what the brain does that interferes with thinking? And all of our brains do some things that interfere with good thinking. But nevertheless, uh, so that's what we try to do. We are working on trying to teach people how to maximize the efficiency and efficacy of their own minds. That's so powerful and so interesting. How did you get into this? Super curious about that. Sure. Well, I started when I was teaching 30 years ago, I was teaching writing courses in college. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realized that my students were not making the kind of progress that I wanted to as writers and especially as thinkers. And that really began my journey into understanding this. And unfortunately, what we found is that most people have uh, the research on critical thinking was pretty frail. Most people had not really studied whether or not universities are increasing uh, critical thinking. And if they are increasing critical thinking, to what degree they're doing it and what methods are being used. Unfortunately, when that research has been done, the outcomes are pretty dismal. Mm -hmm. So at best, maybe college increases critical thinking a tiny smidgen, but really it takes direct instruction of critical thinking methods to improve critical thinking in colleges. I would ask most of your listeners if they went to college or even in high school, if they received direct instruction on what their brain does when it thinks and how to do it better, because most people, almost all people really haven't. And that's partly because that kind of concept, that pedagogy, so those teaching methods, those ideas didn't really exist. No one really knew how to do it. So it took me a long time to figure out how do we start to do this in a way that's not just talking about ideas and critical thinking, but actually teaching people how to do it better so that we get results. And that's sort of the big breakthrough we made was way to do it so that people could learn it. And that's really very important. That's so powerful and interesting. So how, I mean, and, and I know that this might be obvious, but I still want to hear your take. How does learning critical thinking apply to making real world decisions specifically around entrepreneurship and building your business? It's a great question. Well, and the first thing I would say is mm -hmm. I would ask anyone who's an entrepreneur here to think about whether anything is more important or integral 
to the future success of their business than thinking well, right? Doesn't it all depend on how well we can anticipate problems, understand the market, solve for problems, solve for problems before they occur, hire people who can think well, who can create new ideas and so forth, right? It's all related back to critical mm -hmm. thinking. But here's something that I think will interest everyone who's listening to the show in particular, because they're really on the cutting edge. When it comes to making effective decisions, what they've done is they figured out, researchers figured out, that critical thinking skills are more important than raw intelligence. In other words, the bigger factor for whether or not people make good decisions is not how smart they are, but whether or not they've really learned critical thinking skills. That should make sense to everybody because it doesn't matter if you have a wonderful instrument, you could have a Stradivarius violin, but if you don't know how to play it, right, right, then it doesn't do you much good, right? My, if I play a Stradivarius, it's going to sound like crap. It's going to sound terrible to everybody. So, um, so the brain's the same way. You might have a beautiful instrument in terms of your brain. You might have a Stradivarius of a brain, <laughs> but does that mean that you know how to play it well? And critical thinking is understanding how to play it well. So critical thinking is a bigger factor in the decisions we make than just mere raw intelligence. And so as we think about what we're doing in, as entrepreneurs in the world, we have to think about whether or not we're maximizing the instruments we have in order to make the best decisions. And not just ours, right? But those of our teams, those are the people who work for us or with us, of our colleagues and so forth, because that's really where it's all going to be changed. That makes sense. So do what type of problems do the people or actually let me let me formulate this question a different way when how does somebody know whether they need to develop their own critical thinking <laughs> well everyone needs to develop their own right yeah thinking. i know i know but is <laughs> right. there anything specific like a specific type of problem that that you would come up again and again against and that that would lead people to say okay i this is something that would be really beneficial for me well, I would put it like this. So everybody has those things. It doesn't matter how well trained you are. I'm, I'm very well trained in critical thinking, but obviously I, mine can get better, right? Mm -hmm. What I would say are two things. First of all, everyone's going to find that they're running into some kind of problem repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone does that. Nobody finds, yeah. nobody conquers certain types of problems, right? They keep coming up, right? Once again, I find myself having to try to do X, right? It might be in a different context. It might be with different people. It might have some different clothing on it right? But the raw naked problem is essentially the same thing. That's certainly an indicator that you need better critical thinking. The other one's harder to define because the other one is the fact that we all have blind spots. And what critical thinking does is it helps us understand where our blind spots might be and how to try to start to become aware of and therefore resolve those blind spots. So those are really things, hard things to say, but what you can do to start to figure that out because obviously we can't figure those out for ourselves very well. They're blind spots after all, right? Mm -hmm. What we can do is start to ask your colleagues and friends, say, what's something that I do? What's an area where I could think better? Or what's something I do when we're tackling a problem that's always the same thing that doesn't necessarily help as much as it could with solving that problem? And the fact is that on the one hand, in terms of our past, we all have biases, and these biases are driven by how we're raised, what our culture was or our subculture was, our education, our religion, our whatever, and you name something. We all have them. And it doesn't mean that your religion's bad or how you were raised right. were bad, right? It's just that we all have, we're all read a certain way to have a certain kind of perspective on the world, right? That's baked in us and it's subconscious in a lot of ways. And that's going to affect how we approach 
certain kinds of decisions in our lives. It's what we value and things we don't even know that we value that we value, right? So it's different than how other people would approach it. But then the other thing to understand is this, and this is so important. The brain is a predictive organ. That's it's one of its main jobs is to make predictions. And if we look at it on a, on a cellular level, in terms of what neurons do when we think, we find they're actually always making predictions about what's about to happen which is really interesting from a neurological perspective, but they're actually, they start to get ready to, to act before something happens in case they have to act. Right. Okay. So we're always making assumptions and we can't think or act in the world without making assumptions. So that's not wrong. We can't help it and we need to do it, but are we always making the best assumptions? Mm. That's a different question. And so we need to find out what kind of assumptions do we make? Why are we making those assumptions and how do we start to make better ones? That's so powerful. And, you know, I, I I think that it's so often that we see that, especially when we're facing um, entrepreneurship, I see it, you know, in, in, in clients of mine, when they're in the middle of a launch, or they're just starting a launch, and they've already made a decision about what's going to happen before it's even happened. And you then kind of just give up, throw in the towel. I didn't get 20 sales in day one. So it must mean that I'm not going to make any more. And you don't do the actions then. It's kind of, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like you don't do the actions and therefore sometimes that's going to end up being the result. Does that make sense? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And we trap ourselves by early conclusions. Mm -hmm. We trap ourselves by not meeting the assumptions that we put forward. And we think that we draw conclusions about that too easily, right? So critical thinking is really about learning what our brain's doing when we're thinking? Uh, why is it? It's about the learning about the assumptions that brains make, why they make them. It's about our biases. It's also about logic. It's all about how to create an idea. It's how to use evidence better. It's about all of these things. And if we train the brain to do it and we give people more control over their brains, then we help them be more successful and happier and find more meaning in their lives. I mean, so if we're entrepreneurs, especially because I'm an entrepreneur, three-time entrepreneur, mm-hmm. if if we're entrepreneurs especially, then everything we're doing depends so much on what our brains are doing, Yeah, right? Which is yeah. not, the, not necessarily always is true for all lines of work, right? And there are some pros and cons to that. So I'm not judging that. You know, sometimes people who are digging a ditch, they love that work. It's great because they just get to talk to people and they love the physical labor and that's great. That does equally great. Um, but for us as entrepreneurs, the brain is so integral to everything we're doing in terms of our success in that. Mm-hmm. What wouldn't be better if we could control our brains a little better? If we extract a little more power from our up the wattage of what we're doing in our brains, even a little bit, isn't that the, one of our greatest assets yeah. in life? Absolutely. So how can we maximize our brain's internal functions? What, what sort of things can we do for that? That's a tough question because obviously it takes more formal training than we can discuss here. But I will, I always give this tip, which I think is very powerful. And it's everything I say, by the way, is backed by research. So none of this is my opinion, right? There was some interpretation of research whenever you use it, but this is not just Steve's ideas of what thinking should be, right? This is all based on 30 years of research into this field and a lot of practice and application. So one of the things that we recommend everyone do in an informal way is start to keep a particular kind of journal. We call it a meta journal. Mm -hmm. And what it's doing is playing on something called metacognition. Metacognition is being able to think about your thinking while you're thinking. That's a way to think about metacognition. It's a fancy term for being self-aware of what you're thinking while you're thinking it. Mm 
Okay. Right? So what most people do when they keep a diary or a journal is they write about what happened that day. You know, I said this, you know, my friend said that, my boss did this, I felt this way, you know, and so forth. And those are great. Nothing wrong with those. But they're not thinking journals. They're not metacognitive journals. What we ask everyone to do for a meta journal is simpler. We simply want you to talk about how what your brain did in order to make a decision that day. You could take one decision a day. It doesn't have to be related to your entrepreneurship. It could be about anything, a parenting decision. It could be about what you decide to have for dinner that day. It doesn't really matter what the decision is. Mm -hmm. But start to think, huh, what did my brain do? What factors did it start to consider for that decision? What did it start to weigh out? What didn't it consider? Why didn't it consider that? How did it consider something based on a certain bias that I have? Or what assumptions was it making? And the mere act of just starting to become more self-aware of what our own brains are doing starts to enable us to become more powerful because we can take control over that process. So what you'll find happens, and this happens to everyone who does this, it's usually about a week to two weeks. At first, you'll start keeping this journal at night. So you'll reflect on a decision you made that day and you'll write for your journal. And maybe you're going to write 10 minutes in that journal about that. And 10 minutes a night is fine. You're going to write 10 minutes. But then what's going to happen after a week to two weeks is you're going to go and you're going to be going about your day and you're going to go to start to make a decision. And you're going to be, start to become more self-aware of what your brain's doing before it makes the decision instead of after. Now you've started to become a more powerful thinker. And that's one of the most powerful things that people can do informally. Anyone can do it in their lives. Keep a journal, not about what you did, but about what process your brain did to get you to do it. That's extremely simple and powerful. And I can, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about decisions I've already made today and thinking about, well, how, why did I make those decisions? And I can see absolutely how getting that awareness is going to be so helpful and, and how, I guess, the more that you practice it, you're going to get more awareness about why you're making certain decisions. And I, I can really see the power behind that. That's amazing. Um, okay, so next question is, how do critical thinking and emotions impact each other? This I'm curious mm. about too. Well, well uh, that's a complicated question. It's a great mm -hmm. question. Uh, and I'm so glad that you asked that because I don't get asked it enough. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact is that we are emotional thinkers before we're intellectual thinkers. We think emotionally before mm -hmm. we think cognitively. And that is a defense mechanism on our brain. Because I'll tell you that there's this little thing in your brain. It's called the amygdala. Amygdala is Latin for almond, and it's called that because it looks like a little almond. It's about the shape of an almond and the size of an almond. So it's the amygdala, little tiny part of your brain, very powerful part of your brain. The amygdala is a switch, and the switch controls either the lower part of your brain, which is more reactive. Uh, it's a, where our fight or flight responses are actually fight, flight, free, or fawn response. But anyway, it's where our fight or flight response is located. Mm -hmm. And it's all about reacting and keeping us alive, just keeping us alive, doing whatever it takes to get through that situation. So we're physically survive, and then we can procreate and create more people. That's it. That's the amygdala's. That's what the lower brain does. The upper brain, we're up here in our forehead, where we always mm -hmm. think about thinking is literally where our prefrontal cortex is located. And that's where we do our higher level thinking right? Mm -hmm. The things that are related not to running away from the bear, right? right? But to solving the problem of launching our business, all right? Here's the problem. The amygdala is very, very strong and it's a switch. If the amygdala feels threatened, if it feels under stress, 
-hmm. It switches off our cognitive brain and turns on our lower brain. It's called an amygdala hijack. Okay. Okay. And so, and this is not something speaking figuratively. Okay. It actually shuts off the front part of our brain and when you use that language neurologically, but it effectively does that. Mm -hmm. And there's actually more wiring that goes from the amygdala into our prefrontal cortex, then from the prefrontal cortex back into the amygdala, which means that we can't overthink the amygdala's reaction Mm -hmm. because there's not enough wiring going in that direction to control it. All the wiring is coming from the amygdala. It's a one-way street. So if we get stressed out about something, if we get emotional about something, the amygdala shuts off our thinking brain and turns on our emotional brain. So if you've ever been so upset about something, you think you couldn't think straight, or I just can't think straight, right? You literally couldn't think (laughs) because your brain was shut off. The thinking part of your brain was shut off. So what you have to do in those circumstances is you have to find ways to help the amygdala relax, okay? Because when the amygdala relaxes, it thinks better. I'll give you a quick example. Mm -hmm. They did a research study on college students about to take a very stressful exam. And they asked all the college students to sit for 10 minutes before the exam. Some college students, they asked to just sit there and think and relax and do whatever they wanted to do for 10 minutes quietly. The other students, they had write for 10 minutes, might've been five minutes, about what they were stressed out about about the exam and why they were stressed out and how they might be able to conquer the exam despite their stress. The students who wrote that for 10 minutes did two great steps better on average on that exam than the students who didn't. And they did that just because they gave their amygdala a time to express itself and relax. So emotions impact our thinking greatly, more powerfully than our thinking impacts our emotions. And so if you want to think better, take the time to give your emotions some voice, let them air out, let the amygdala relax, and then your thinking brain can actually do more work for you. Does that mean that we have to kind of focus on controlling our emotions first before developing our critical thinking? Yeah, I wouldn't say think about it as controlling your emotions because it's hard to intellectually control them. I would say say venting your emotions. Let the emotions have time to release, give them air. Don't try to squash them down with thought. Right, right. Let them out. Let them give them a venue to be acknowledged and run their course. And also think about despite what they're telling you, how could you achieve what you wanna do despite what the emotions are saying? So that's another positive shift back into the cognitive mind. So those are the things that you wanna do to let the, to sort of gain control over that emotional state to be a better thinker despite emotions. That's so interesting because, I mean, obviously I didn't know kind of the technical reasons or the physical reasons behind a lot of these things that you're talking about. But one of the things that I talk to my clients often about is something that I call going between the head and the heart, right? And for me, the head is about being very strategic and analytical. And the heart is more about, I guess, feeling and and kind of letting things flow a little bit more. So obviously, I believe that we need both. You need both. You can't just be 100% strategic and you can't just be 100% like, well, let's just things happen, right? But what I find is that the the most powerful way, at least for me, to go out and create and, you know, create content or write a webinar or, or write programs or whatever it is that I'm doing is to first get into that kind of flow state or heart space. Um, and I, I feel like it's tying back to what you're saying, right? It's about, okay, let's kind of, you know, let my emotions 
process and do it, do their thing before I sit down and create. Because if I just go straight into creating without being into heart a little bit more, you can start overthinking and then trying to kind of get into self-doubt and and just get into trying to be perfect or does this make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying it, it just in different terminology. Exactly. Right. We have to find a way to balance that. We have to find a way to be, you know, intellectual people while allowing for us to also have emotions and absolutely. not letting them conflict, but finding ways to let them harmonize with each other. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay. So last question um, that I want to ask you, and it's kind of switching gears a little bit more. And I feel like it's already tied to what you're saying, but I'm I'm still I'm still kind of curious. What role has personal development played in your personal entrepreneurial journey? I'm curious to know um, if this is something that you prioritize in your life and in your business and how you do that too. Well, I think that the biggest personal development for me and all of this has been perseverance. Mm. Um, yeah. Because my journey was that first I was doing, tried to do this with my students and I wanted their critical thinking to improve and it wasn't. And I had to persevere through that problem to the point where I could get their critical thinking to excel, which I did. But then I had to figure out how to teach educators how to do it for other students. And that was a whole different challenge because a right. lot of things I was doing were more intuitive. And I had to figure out, well, if I'm my, my challenge now is to help other educators do this because I was hired to do that. How do I do that? And then that ran into a rocky road. And it's not because educators, most of them don't want their students to think critically. They do. Part of the problem was that they thought they were teaching them to think critically when they weren't. Um, but part of the problem is that through no fault of educators, because I, I really want everyone to support our educators. They, they're they all trying to do good. Mm -hmm. But our educational system is not constructed around critical thinking at all. It's in fact, does a lot of things that are opposing and suppressing critical thinking, which is a travesty uh, in my opinion, but nevertheless, that's right. the case. Right. But so I ran into a system that I couldn't ultimately affect the kind of change I wanted to. And so I had to persevere and find another way to do it. And that's when I broke out and founded the Critical Thinking Institute. But then when I found the Critical Thinking Institute, I had to shift from figuring out how to teach educators to teach critical thinking to how do we get everybody to learn it, including kids. And I wasn't used to, I taught college and I taught adults and executives, but I wasn't used to teaching little kids how to mm -hmm. do it. And I had a son who needed to learn it and he was a young kid. So I said, well, how do I do this? So, so even though we have some great success in terms of what we can teach through the Critical Thinking Institute, it was really born of a lot of struggle and in some ways failures along the ways where things that we weren't able to do with educators and so forth. And I had to not only find ways to do what I wanted to do for other populations, but had to believe that in myself, that I could do it and that we had something that was so important and worth doing that it was worth putting all the effort and energy and time and expense behind doing so. So for me, it was a, it was a great journey of perseverance to get to this place. I love that. And I think that that's always going to be true when you're building success in your business, but I love your own journey. Well, Stephen, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about the program, about you, about what you're doing, about how they can develop their own critical thinking? Tell us a little bit more about that. Hmm. Sure. There are two ways. Uh, first uh, is my, my own podcast, Parentology. If you're a parent, 
gives you quick little critical thinking things that you can do with your kids to help them read better or learn in school better or think through things, just very informal things, all based on research. And they're for me and other experts also based on research. These are just quick 15 minute episodes, give you a little tidbit. It's not the same thing as formal critical thinking training. If you want that and any of your listeners are interested in that, please come to the Critical Thinking Institute, which you can find at thectinstitute.com, thectinstitute.com. And if you come there, you can see that we have programs available for whole families and we have programs available for adults where you can learn all the details and ins and outs, the true critical thinking skills and processes that I'm talking about and referencing here much more vaguely in this podcast. So Critical Thinking Institute is where you can find me for that and for corporate consulting and all the other things that we do there. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was amazing having you here and so interesting, everything that you wanted to, that you've shared today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Gracias for listening to today's episode of the Breakthrough Brand Show. To listen to more episodes or to be featured as a guest, go to fabipaulini.com slash podcast for more details. Can I ask you for something? If you got value out of this episode, would you share it on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or just post it online. If you know somebody that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let me know about the show and include the hashtag Breakthrough Brand Show. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and subscribe right now. Your thumbs up, rating, amor, love, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean so much to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, fabipaulini.com, or follow me everywhere as Fabi Paulini. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Con amor, Fabi.